that band, though. Are they, was that amazing? Golly. These guys. You know, in my mind, I sound like that when I sing. I do. You know, up here. Out here. Not, not, not so much. But I tell you, we are, who's got it better than us? Not nobody. I'm telling you, our band, uh, they bring it every single Sunday, and we are, uh, we are grateful. Did I just, did my microphone just die? Is something happening? Strange thing. What kind, I don't know what kind of voodoo you got going back there, Ben. I'm kidding. That's not on Ben. Tell you what, was that, is that better? How's that? No? It's kind of funky. All right. It's all good? So we're just not going to worry about it? Hey, if it gets bad, just somebody, you know, wave at me and, and bring me a microphone and we'll be fine. All right. Well, as Christy said to you earlier, uh, Jeff, is, uh, Jeff is out of town. He's actually out of the country. He's in Guadalajara this morning, and uh, he made the questionable leadership decision to give me the microphone. And uh, so I, I get to c- continue this awesome Any Given Sunday series. How about this series? You guys enjoying that? I'm telling you, Any Given Sunday has been amazing. <coughs> you guys think I ought to switch to another mic? Are we having issues? Okay, cool. All right, so you'd probably rather me keep bringing it up, huh? I'm harping on it. You want me to just let it go, right? Is that right? <laughs> you want me to just not refer- reference that song anymore either, I bet. But uh, any given Sunday, let me tell you, this has been uh, an amazing series. And what we're saying with this series is the idea is, is that on any given Sunday, when we gather together, God could do amazing things, things we didn't expect, things that will blow our minds. And we know that's actually true about any given Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, any day. But in particular, there's this cool dynamic that even Jesus himself talked about in the, in the Scriptures about when Christ followers actually get together for prayer, for worship, for reading of the Word. And a cool dynamic happens that makes it even, uh, even more special. And so we're talking about how on any given Sunday... Uh, you can be just kind of doing your Sunday thing, doing what you normally do, and out of nowhere, God shows up and could change everything in an instant. And uh, so I've been, I've been blown away by this series. Jeff has done an awesome job with it. Today, the idea, the conversation centers around the thought that on any given Sunday, God could set us free from shame, from shame. Now, I think that the idea of shame, things that we are embarrassed about or ashamed of, or I think in our emotional lives, our mental lives, and our spiritual lives, that's one of the biggest struggles that many of us deal with. Like, how, does, how do the things that I'm ashamed of affect me emotionally and mentally? And how does it affect me in my, in my connection with God? And for most people, that is a big question. We're going to kind of address that today. On any given Sunday, God could, God could set us free from shame. Now, shame takes, it takes shape or shows itself in a lot of different ways. I mean, it could be as simple as things that we wish were different about us um, or, or wish that we were different about our story. It could be things that we have big-time regrets about. It could all always... Our shame can sometimes swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum to things that literally, things about our lives and our experiences and our mistakes that literally haunt us. And 
if that's the case, really anywhere along the spectrum, the shame deal is something that we really need to address. So it's important to believe, to know that on any given Sunday, God could set us free from, from our shame. And so in this series leading up to today, Jeff, is, his, first, uh, his first Sunday was come hungry. When you come on any given Sunday, come hungry. Next Sunday was come unified. Last week we talked about come humble. And so today we're talking about the idea of come as you are. Let's just all come exactly the way we are, the real us, the genuine us, including the shame, including the things that we're not proud of and that really kind of freak us out. And let's see if God can't do something amazing on any given Sunday, and I believe on this Sunday. So we're going to look at this idea through a cool story that happened in the Bible to one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter. Now, Peter was one of the most, probably the most famous of Jesus' disciples. And uh, so we're going to look at a story that takes place in the book of John, chapter 21. If you have your Bible, you can uh, start flipping there. If you don't have your Bible, when we get to the reading it here in just a few minutes, it'll be on the screen. And so you'll be able to follow along there. Now, I will uh, pause here and apologize for my raspy throat. I have been dealing with the allergies. Anybody with me? Do you feel me? I'm telling you, I feel like the pollen is coated my very soul. You know what I'm saying? It has reached beyond my sinuses into who I really am. I can't get rid of it. So uh, I'm popping, you know, Claritin like they were Tic Tacs, and I'm, uh, and I'm living on, uh, I'm living on sucrets and stuff like that. So, uh, I, you know, thank you for uh, bearing with me. But we're going to look at this story that happened to, to Peter at the end of, uh, of Jesus, near the end of Jesus' time on earth. It's a story that happens, a little interaction between Jesus and Peter and the other disciples, Peter mainly. And uh, it happened after Jesus had died on the cross, been buried, and had been resurrected. Of course, we celebrate Christ's resurrection two weeks from today. Boom! It's going to be amazing. Um, But this story takes place a, a a little while after the resurrection. Now, before we get to reading the story, we need to set it up a little bit. Jesus uh, called 12 guys to be his disciples, his followers. That they, hung, they hung with him for three solid years, traveling with him, helping him uh, in his ministry as he taught and he healed people. It was just amazing. And Peter was one of the more prominent of the disciples. Peter was a guy, he was a man's man, big fisherman guy. Peter was one of those guys... He was, uh, he was more heart than he was mind. He was more mouth than he was mind. Boy, I tell you, if Peter was here today, he would post unwisely. I, I promise you. He would, he, you know, you were talking about that earlier, Christy. He would, be, he would post before he, before he thought. Um, Peter was uh, one of those ready, fire, aim kind of guys. You know, he's just, whatever came into his head, he said it. And uh, I don't know if you have anybody like this in your life. Somebody who occasionally, maybe you are this person, but occasionally will come up with, with a statement or an action or an activity or do something that just is amazing and blows everybody away. And you go, whoa, that guy is so cool. And, he's, and he gets it. And then 30 seconds later, he just takes it too far. And he, go, and he keeps talking. And he goes, all right, now you need to stop right now. 
because you were doing real good and now you're making no sense at all. That, that's the way Peter was. He had these amazing, amazing highs and lows, but he had a good heart and he loved Jesus. Now, when it came closer to the time for Christ to be crucified, in fact, uh, on, on the night that, that Jesus was about to be betrayed and turned in to the authorities, he was having a meal with his, his last supper. He was having with his disciples. And at this last supper, he was trying to give them a heads up. Listen, guys, things are going to get really funky really quick once we're done with dinner here. And they were like, oh, no, you're fine. We're on a high. Everybody loves you, Jesus. This is going to be good. We're about to, you know, we're, we're trending, Jesus. You're trending. So it's all good. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's about to get ugly. And uh, Jesus said, in fact, one of you guys is going to betray me. And uh, he kind of gives a hint of who that's going to be. Of course, we know it's Judas. But in the, there was a conversation among the other guys at the table, like, who's it going to be? Is it me? Is it me? And Peter was like, you know what, Lord? I tell you, all the other clowns around this table, they're probably going to bail on you, but I will never. And I mean never, ever turn my back on you. And Jesus said, you think? And, and Peter said, yeah, man, I am in. I'm your guy. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have already denied me three times publicly. And Peter said, no way that's going to happen. Jesus said, we'll see. Well, sure enough, after supper, they go to, to a, a peaceful garden where Jesus is going to pray. He asked Peter and some of the other guys, pray with me. Stay up all night and pray with me because my soul, I'm really freaked. I'm, I'm troubled. It's going to be heavy. And Peter just fell asleep. Everybody fell asleep. They couldn't hang with him. Then the authority, once he gets to, Judas brings the authorities to Jesus. They're about to arrest him, which is going to eventually lead to his, his, uh, his crucifixion. And Peter, now he wakes up, and now he's like, all right, what's going on? And Peter's like ready to fight. And Peter said, and, and, and the, one of the, the soldiers are coming at him, and Peter gets so geeked up that he pulls a fishing knife, you know, like a knife you use to, to, to clean fish with, and he's going to take them on. He's like, get behind me, Messiah. I got you. You know, this fisherman wielding this thing. And the crazy thing is, is that in one of the accounts in the gospel, it says that among the disciples, they had two swords with them. But Peter's like, no, I got my knife. You know, like, come on, Peter, get, get what's the deal? Peter's stabbing it at guys, cuts a guy's ear off. You know, that's going to really hurt, right? That's going to really stop the onslaught. I'm, I'm going to rescue you, Lord. I'll cut his ear off. It was just a mess. Jesus said, back off, Peter, relax. Let me handle this. Gets arrested, and as they lead Jesus off to be tried in this little mock monkey trial that it was, it was crazy, um, uh, Peter and some of the disciples followed at a distance. And at one point, Peter is uh, warming himself by a fire with a lot of other citizens who hear this buzz about this prophet teacher who's, gonna, who's about to get in trouble. And somebody says, hey, you, uh, you're with I saw you with him. You're one of his guys. And Peter said, no, I'm not one of his guys. Oh, not me. Not me. No, 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 really. I saw you. I remember, in fact, your accent is kind of giving you away because you're from that region. And uh, Peter said, dude, no, it's not me. It's not me. You're thinking about somebody else. It's not me. And finally, they keep pressing him. Third time, somebody keeps asking him, and he just says, I'm going to make my point. And he starts swearing like a sailor or like a fisherman or like he used to swear. And he's just unleashing a tapestry of profanity. And he's like, ah. 
And he, and, and he, and he says, I, I don't know him. And the Bible says that right at that moment, or just moments later, the rooster crows. And, G, and, and Peter goes, oh, my gosh. I swore that I would not deny him. And, and I did. I did three times. It, the Scripture also tells the story that right about that time, across the courtyard, as the authorities and the, and, and the thugs, you know, the, the armed soldiers were taking Jesus to his next spot to be, to be tried, across the courtyard, Jesus locks eyes with Peter. So Peter denies him three times. Here's the rooster crow. Boom. Makes eye contact with Jesus. And then Peter freaks out and says he just runs. Now, can you put yourself in his place? Can you imagine how embarrassed, how ashamed he was, how disappointed he was? So, of course, we know over the next day, you know, it gets worse. Jesus gets crucified. He gets taken down off the cross, laid in a borrowed tomb. His disciples are in hiding, not only because they're heartbroken, but they don't know if they're going to be next. They don't know if the authority is going to come get them. So they're all, oh, no, what's going to happen? Now, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus, through the power of God, God, through the Holy Spirit, raises Jesus from the dead, just as he prophesied would happen. And he comes back to life, and on a number of occasions, over the next few days, he reveals himself to his disciples. Now, that would be cool and encouraging, would it not? If your leader who had died suddenly shows up and he's alive again, wouldn't that be cool? It would be cool. But it would also be very freaky, would it not? Let's be honest. I mean, you would be like, dude, Jesus is alive. Wait, what? This is kind of weird. We didn't know this sort of thing was going to... So, over the next few days, this happens. Jesus reveals himself. And the story we're about to read in John chapter 21 is another time, the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. We think that Peter may have seen him alive once before this moment. We don't know for sure. It's a little dicey. But we know that he revealed himself to a number of the disciples, and this was the third time he made an appearance. All right, so in John chapter 21, you guys with me? This story is about to get good, all right? John chapter 21, verses 3 through 13. What we're going to do is we're going to just zip through all these verses. It's kind of the overarching thing that we're going to talk about. Uh, in this story, and then we'll kind of go back and just pick out different parts of the story to discuss. Okay, you ready? Starting in verse 3, Simon Peter said to, his, to them, the disciples that were there, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he was stripped down for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. 
And when they got onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore large, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and so with the fish. So this is a really interesting story about how Jesus chose to reveal himself to his disciples. We'll see as we go towards the end here this morning that um, part of the reason was this was kind of all about Peter. He was kind of leading this to how he is going to really connect with Peter, although the other disciples were there. So what we're going to talk about today, back to this shame idea, is what do we think is true about us? about God, really about everything in our lives. What do we think is true about everything in light of the stuff we're ashamed of? What do we think happens when life gets real and when we mess up or when our lives just get messed up? may not have been our mistake or our fault, but life just gets turned sideways. What do we think is true about us and about God and about our lives when all of that happens. And we're going we're gonna to address that thought in the form of three questions. The first question is, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Now, remember, Jesus had been kind of showing himself to the disciples on a couple of occasions before this story even came down. So you're like, wow, Jesus is alive. It's exciting, yet it's a little confusing. The guys don't really get where this is going and how all this is going to play out. And, and while they're waiting for the next thing that's going to happen, Jesus, is he going to show up? Is he not going to show up? How long is it going to be before we see him again? They don't have a plan. They don't have an agenda. They haven't been in, invited to an event through Facebook where Jesus says, you know, will you attend? Will you not attend? Maybe. Sea of Galilee tomorrow afternoon. You know, it's not, we don't know. They, don't, they, they had no idea what was coming next. So, so Peter says, you know what, I'm going fishing. Now, scholars who dig around in Bible history and stuff, they've always argued, what did Peter mean when he said, I'm going fishing? Did he mean he was just going fishing for fun? Did he mean he was just going to kill some time? Did he mean he was just bored and didn't know what else to do? Or did he mean, I'm going back to fish as an occupation? But which, which is what I did before this whole crazy three years that just happened played out. I believe that it meant when he said, I'm going fishing, he meant, I'm going back to being a fisherman. Because, see, they went and they fished all night. You don't fish all night for fun, do you? I don't. Anybody? Yikes. I just don't understand you, man. I mean, I don't, I'm not judging you. I just don't get you, you know? Oh, Lord. Thank you. Appreciate that. No. But, yeah, bring, bring some fish and some bread. There you go. But here's the thing. I don't think he was killing time. It's almost like, let me ask you this. If you you heard me say, I'm going to play basketball, you would picture in your mind a skinny old white guy on a basketball court trying not to look stupid. All right? 
going out to play at the gym or the Y with friends. Now, however, if you were alive and vibrant and a sports fan in the mid-90s, as I was, by the way, and you watched the greatest basketball player who ever lived, his name was, is, Michael Jordan, take a break from basketball and go play the greatest sport there is, which is baseball, which he would have been great at if the strike hadn't happened. He would have stayed at it. But the strike happened, and in 1994, he held a press conference, and he said the words, I am going to play basketball. And everybody in the world knew exactly what he meant. He didn't, they weren't like, a reporter said, what do you mean, with a church league, Michael? You're going to go play with your kids? No, they knew. MJ was back, baby. He was back, he was going back. And this is what Peter said, I am going fishing. So, this is our thing. This is our first hashtag. You ready? Hashtag, I am going fishing. Say it with me. Hashtag, I am going fishing. All right? He meant, I tried this thing for three years. Not only did it not work out, it crashed and burned. I mean, not work out is not even close to describing how bad this is. So, I'm going fishing. So my question is, so, so basically Peter is, is addressing the question, where do I belong? It's certainly not in the traveling prophet ministry job, because that didn't work. I belong fishing. I'm, go, I'm going back fishing. This is what I do. So my question for you is, what does hashtag I'm going fishing mean to you? What is your hashtag? Have you ever gotten to a point where you, in a, uh, in a relationship, or in a, maybe even in a business endeavor, or maybe in your spiritual life, maybe in the faith journey, where you said to yourself, I was crazy to think that this would work. And I, you know, I tried, and I invested, and I really hoped that it would work, but this was nuts. This is no way. And, and everything that just happened is proof that I can't cut it. This is not for me. I, I'm going back. I'm going fishing. I'll never change. I tried and I'm still the same guy. I'm trying to be better and yet I still keep screwing up in the same way that I always did. So, forget it. I'm, I'm going fishing. What, is, what does that mean to you? What does hashtag I'm going fishing mean to you? What would be your hashtag? Would it be I tried to be a next-level kind of dad. You know what? I wanted to be that guy that didn't just sit in front of the TV when I got home because I was tired. I want to engage my kids. I want to try to be a partner with my, with my spouse. And really, I really tried, and yet I keep messing up. So no way. It's not, I'm just, you know what? Hashtag going back to the remote. Hashtag going back to the same old dad that I've always seen, that my dad and his dad was. Hashtag, I'm going back fishing. I remember one time when I was uh, at a church in New York, I had a good friend of mine who came up to me after church and asked me to pray for him. And he said, uh, he said, man, I need, to pray for, I need you to pray for me and my family. My wife, you know, she's been in surgery. She's recovering. About the last three weeks, life's been really crazy around the house. And he said, you know what, I want you to pray that the Lord will bring her back strong because, you know, she is just... She's like the spiritual mojo in my house, and she, she, she's always praying over the kids and thinking about the Lord, and she's the real encourager in the house, 
and she's really giving the kids encouragement. And we just pray that the Lord will help her recover quick so we can get that back to normal. And I wanted to just smack him across the face. I wanted to ding, do an old Street Stooges thing at him, like, what are you talking about? What, what is that? You want your wife to get better so that she can do things that you're not comfortable doing? How about, how about you step up, buddy? I'll pray for you, but what I'm going to pray is that you become the, the best encourager in your house. I'm going to pray that you become the guy that does all the, the, the praise over everybody more than anybody else. I'm going to pray that the Lord will light a fire under you and make you that guy. And then that she'll get better and that she'll, you guys will be a powerhouse team and everything will be cool. But I'm not going to sit here and pray that she'll get better so you can just chill. So what does that mean to you? I mean, what are the areas in your life where you say, well, that's a hashtag, that's just not me. Hashtag, I'm, not, I'm just not that guy. I'm not good with words. Well, you know what? Find some. Find some words. How about you pray and ask God to empower you? How about you take a chance? And let God take you to a place that he's never... See, God, where do you belong? I can't, I can't answer that question. But I can promise you that Jesus will invade wherever you think you belong. And he will show you that there's more for you. And he will show you that there's a lot of really cool add-ons to the life that you have constructed for yourself. That you're like, hashtag, I, this is just me. Where do I belong? Well, you know, there's a lot of... That's a complicated answer. But I promise you, Jesus will come to you in your, I think this is where I belong. And he'll stir things up just, the way, just like he did with Peter. See, what he did is he told them, literally, Hey, did y'all catch any fish last night? And they're like, oh, we didn't catch any fish last night. Because they had attitude by now, right? And he's like, why don't you toss the, the, the net on the other side but you ever, anybody work in a job where every once in a while a customer or somebody who doesn't have a clue tells you how to do your job? Anybody? Isn't that awesome? It's one of the favorites. Love that. Yeah. All right, we'll throw it. So the, the, they throw the net over, and then boom, a miraculous catch of fish happens. And here's what happens. The apostle, the disciple John says to Peter, I think this is the Lord. Why did John say that? Because Jesus had done that miracle before with them. You guys remember hearing of that story once before in the Bible? And, and so the, he, he puts two and two together, and he says, it's the Lord. And when he tells Peter it's the Lord, Peter does a full-on Forrest Gump. You know that, that, you know that scene where he sees Lieutenant Dan on the pier? And so Peter's just like, hey, Jesus, you know, and, and, and goes to see him. He, and, uh, and it's so funny. Because the Bible says that uh, the rest of the disciples uh, stayed in the boat and simply rowed to shore because they were only 100 feet away. (laughs) They're just like, they're looking at each other like Peter's just, you know, and they're like, what is he doing? We're literally rowing three times and we're there. And they're like, just let him do his thing. It's Peter, you know. So, but the reason that Peter was so motivated to do that is because he remembered the last time that happened. And it was the day that Jesus invited Peter to go on that three-year journey 
of being a disciple. And, and it happened. Peter was in the boat. Jesus was, was right there in the boat with him. Said, throw, you know, throw your nets out. Boom. Miraculous catch happens. Peter realizes, whoa, this is not just a normal guy. And do you know what Peter said to him on that first day that it happened? He knelt down and he said, I am not a good person. I'm just not. I do not deserve to be around a person like you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. doesn't matter if you don't think you're a good person. You're my, you're my guy now. You're my boy, Peter. You're now my guy. And I want you to be my, I want you to follow me. So what Jesus was doing with that miracle was in, instead of just, see, Jesus could have just appeared in the boat and said, guys, it's me, you know. But instead, he does this whole thing where he's cloaked. They don't know if it's him. I don't know if they can't see from 100 feet away. Or maybe Jesus is like Clark Kent. You know, he looks exactly like Superman. But when you put on the glasses, who are you? I don't know who you are. Whatever. They couldn't tell who Jesus was. And he does this. And I think he wanted to do it so that he could remind Peter, you thought you didn't qualify that day. And I'm pretty sure you think you don't qualify now. But the offer for the relationship is still out there. I still offer you this relationship. Um, this was Peter's... Peter could not have felt farther away from the man he wanted to be th- than he felt that morning. He, he lost it all. His vision, his hope for the kind of guy he was going to be, the follower of Christ, the loyal, faithful follower of Christ. He had blown it. And yet, he saw it. Wait, Jesus is doing the same thing. So the offer for the relationship still intact. This is what the Lord does. And some of us believe that God, when he comes to us in our shame and in our pain and in our brokenness, that he'll stand on the shore and he'll say, Hey, idiots! What are you doing in that boat? Bailed on me in the garden. Bailing on me now. Uh, just, just come eat breakfast. Come on. Like he, like, like he has to still connect with us, but he doesn't really want to. Or somehow he loves us because he's obligated to. That's not the way. And that may be the voice that we hear in our heads about how the Lord would deal with us in our shame. But that is not. That is not how God deals with his shame-filled sons and daughters. He invites them back into relationship. And so, Jesus, Jesus sees Peter do his force gump, and they come in, and they all get to the shore, and boom, there's breakfast. And uh, we're going to move to now the second, the second question, which is, what have I become? First question is, where do I belong? Hashtag, I'm going to go fishing. What does that mean to you? Now, what have I become? See, Jesus had made a little fire with charcoal and was grilling the fish and had some bread. Now, there's fire mentioned all throughout the Bible in tons and tons and tons of different Bible stories. And there are all kinds of different fires. And sometimes, when they tell the Bible story, they'll give really important, or it, it seems actually kind of, oddly unimportant details about the fire. 
Sometimes they'll say it was a fire made with wood. Sometimes there was a, one time there was a bush, a shrubbery that was on fire in the desert. And God spoke to Moses out of the shrubbery. Now, we, we, we hear all these different kinds of fires. There's only two times in the whole Bible that a charcoal fire is mentioned. Two times. This time, and do you know what the other time was? It was the kind of fire that Peter was standing around in the courtyard warming his hands with when he ended up denying Jesus three times. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have certain smells can trigger certain memories. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if that happened for Peter. It happened for me this week. You remember there was a couple of days this week where it was so warm and so comfortable that the entire world came outside to play? Wasn't that awesome? And I'm walking through my neighborhood. I'm walking my dog. I'm dog-sitting, long story. And so I'm, I'm smelling everybody's grilling, and my next-door neighbor is grilling. You know, it's a little different smell when the charcoal and the lighter fluid is grilled, right? You know, it's not like just the propane. And my neighbor was doing the, the charcoal grill, and I had a charcoal grill memory, uh, aroma memory moment. And I remember, because that's the way my dad used to grill. Because back in the Stone Age, that's all we had was charcoal and lighter fluid. And so um, I, I remembered, and as I'm walking the dog, I start flashing back to where I lived in uh, Natchez, Mississippi in the mid-70s for a couple of years. And suddenly, I remember, because my dad would grill out, and all the neighborhood kids would come over, and we'd eat, and we'd play baseball in the yard, and it was awesome. And suddenly, I don't know, does this happen to you guys? Suddenly, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm walking through the house that we lived in at the time. In my mind, I'm remembering the Christmas morning, which may have been my best Christmas morning. Toss across. An awesome Dallas Cowboys jacket was hanging on the handlebars of an amazing orange bicycle. The best bike that I'd ever gotten or would ever get. It was a great Christmas, and I would ride, and in my mind, I'm riding that bike through the neighborhood, and I'm seeing the dirt clod. Uh, war area there was this construction site which is mounds of dirt that never got anything got built on and we had had dirt clawed wars on the on the hills and i was driving through the place where i won my first fight uh you know and it was just this 80 pound kid suddenly i'm i'm on top of this big kid and i'm like what do i do now you know it was, it was freaky but anyway and and i'm thinking of all this stuff i remembered it in that house one night it was a school night I had to think of Silly Putty. Anybody ever had Silly Putty? Come on, Silly Putty people. I just love my Silly Putty so much. I wanted to sleep with it. So I, I evened it out on my pillowcase right here. And I slept with my, pillow, with my Silly Putty on the pillowcase. And I woke up that next morning and I, just, and I raised my head off the pillow and I went, why does my head weigh so much? And I was tangled, attached to my pillowcase with the silly putty, walk in the kitchen, Mom, she freaks. She has to cut the jaws of life. Because this is the 70s. I had hair everywhere. (laughs) Jaws of life to get the pillow off of my silly putty infested hair. And then I had to go to school. I was like, I was shaved on one side and long hair on the other. I was like an 80s pop star. And it was 1975. It was not a good look. School pictures that year were awesome. Sitting there, going, <laughs> smiling. 
Like, dude, a little harsh angle, why don't you turn your head? I said, why don't you just take the picture? You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my struggle. So anyway, I just, I remembered all that. I mean, this is just rapid fire memories this week. And then I remembered this friend that I used to go uh, do sleepovers with. He'd sleep over at my house, I'd sleep over at his. And uh, we'd get in all kind of mischief, most of it harmless. And I remembered the, the, the one time I was over sleeping over at his house, and, uh, and we found, or he showed me, his uh, dad's stash, what we used to call girly magazine. And so I was introduced in a big way to pornography. At the age of, I guess I was nine or ten. And, you know, look, I know a lot of people think that's just sort of a rite of passage for the young American male that's going to happen. and Not that big a deal. I don't agree. I, I, you know, it, it ended up over the years, over the decades of my life, starting that day and then, and then on as I became an adult, young man and an adult, that that became the critical battleground for the health and well-being of my soul. And I lost that battle for a lot of years. And uh, I didn't, uh, it cost me everything. It became my drug of choice. It really did. And you couple that with a lot of insecurities and fears that I had. I just became a dishonest person. If I'm going to hide that from everybody, which of course I was going to hide that problem, right? Um, Then I hid everything else. And so I just wasn't an honest person. I couldn't be trusted, and it just destroyed everything. Lost everything. Now, I bring up that story to tell you that um, I know what it's like to have a charcoal fire memory and not like what you remember and not like it at all. And I just wonder, as Peter is sitting there around that fire with Jesus and the other disciples and they're getting the food ready, I just wonder what that was like for him. Because Jesus said, through doing that miracle, I'm, the relationship, the door for the relationship is still there. You think you're far away, you're not. You can come back to me, just like you did the first time. But we're going to have to uh, revisit the wound. And we're going to have to re, we're going to have to go to that place. We're going to have to go to the failure. And we're going to have to poke around at that fire. And we're going to have to sit there, and we're going to have to, Stay with it for a little while. Now, the reason I think that's a big deal, and the reason I love this story, probably the biggest reason I love this story, is because um, I know what it's like to poke at the fire of my failure by myself in secrecy and in isolation. The difference here is that Jesus is saying, let's do this together. I will take you back to that thing and that place and that memory and that mistake and that brokenness and that failure. But we'll be in it together. And, if, and I believe that if I can do that with the Lord, then, I can, then I'll be okay. And that there's hope for me. And you know what? I don't, I don't know when or if everything gets fixed. I don't know if, I, if the broken parts in me will ever be totally fixed. But I'll tell you this. If I'm sitting at the fire of my shame with the Lord, I may not totally get everything fixed, but I will get healed. 
And if I can get healed, anything can happen. So I invite you to that fire, and I ask you, will you come to the fire with the Lord and let him take you to the places of the wound and take you to the places of the mistake and the failure and the sin and the pain. And let's see what he might do. He might, on any given Sunday, start us on a path that takes us to healing instead of deeper into secrecy, deeper into shame, and farther away from the man and the woman that we want to become. <laughs> with that in mind, I'd like to wrap up with a, um, with a thought. The last question is, what do I believe? This is really the premier question. I'd like to invite the band to come on up because we're wrapping up here. So we talked about, where do I belong? Am I just going to go back fishing? Am I just going to settle for what, whatever? Or, or might the Lord have more for me? What have I become when I really sit with the shame that symbolized by that charcoal fire? Um, because what Jesus is saying is that even though you might think you've become something that totally disqualifies you and limits you from what you can be, you're still my son, you're still my daughter. And then, but the last question is, what do I believe? And, and when I say, what do I believe, what I'm talking about is, what do I believe? Not even so much about me, but about the Lord. I want to illustrate this, and I'll just mention, because I went too long and I ran out of time. We couldn't go to the last part of the verses, where after they stir the fire a little bit and eat some breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yeah, Absolutely. And he ends up asking him three times. Peter, every time, says, yes, Lord, I love you. Every time Peter says, I love you, uh, Jesus says, I want you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. By the time Jesus asked Peter the third time, Peter's like, Lord, what do you, of course, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. I used to read that, and it drove me crazy. I thought Jesus was rubbing Peter's face in it. You know what I'm saying? Do you love me, Peter? Absolutely, Lord. Sure there, buddy? Didn't feel like it last week. You sure you love me? Let's rack that up again. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, no, that's the way I felt like Jesus was just kind of messing with Peter on it. But you know what Jesus was doing? If Jesus was just hammering Peter, he would have said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love me. Then why'd you do that? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then why do you keep screwing up so bad? Again. That was not the way Jesus responded. When Peter said, I love you, Jesus said, okay, let's move forward. Let's move forward. We're always going to have to deal with this wound, you know, this this sin, this failure. But you know what? We're going to move forward. I'm not going to keep replaying that crap from the past. I said crap in church. Yikes. Um, Jesus says we're going to move forward and it's because of what Jesus thinks and knows what do we really believe about the Lord last thing I want to tell you is a quick story and then we'll uh, wrap up I was watching 60 Minutes at my cousin's house a couple of years ago anybody watch 60 Minutes back in the day that was the only news program there was 60 Minutes doing a special on this 
Christian missionary organization called Mercy Ships. Ever heard of this? Mercy Ships? Like old cruise ships and old vessels. Turn them into floating hospitals. They go to these impoverished areas all around the continents. In this particular one, the continent of Africa. Tribal people from all over the, the, that, those regions would travel to the port city. And they would stay there for months at end, on end. And they would help them with medical problems. They helped the tribal people with medical problems. So I'm watching this one show. And there's this, uh, there's this problem that, that most of the people have when they come to the ship. And it's they have these massive deformities on their faces. I mean, it is, I was going to show a picture. It's so disturbing, it would have been unnerving for us to look at. Huge tumors that are just making their faces look like, like a cartoon almost. And all it is is this dental hygiene. It's plaque that keeps growing. And it's simple fix. Simple fix. They do plastic surgery, and they help these people regain their lives. These people, because of the tribes they live in, are because consi- it's so weird, it's, they're considered cursed. They're considered demons. They're cast out of the camp, only used for whatever, you know, serves the purposes of the, the others in the tribe. They're, they're outcasts. They come to these ships, and they, and, they, and, and they start doing these surgeries, and they have to do multiple surgeries to restore their faces. These tumors are like crush their windpipes and kill them. It's crazy. It's make you want to floss. I'm serious. But here's the thing. The doctor is being interviewed by the 60 Minutes guy. And the guy goes, I saw you whisper something in the ear of this patient right before she went under for the surgery. This patient was grotesquely deformed. And he said, and he whispered something. And so the guy asked, what did you whisper? And he says, well, it's a word in their tribal language. It's... Uh, what's that word? It's Fatimata. Fatimata. What does that word mean? And he says, I leaned down and I whispered that to them because it's me saying, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. All you see is this grotesque thing. You are cursed and outcast because of what people think of you. But I know the real you is in there. And we're going to start a process that's going to help draw that out. I know you're in there. And see, I believe that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. Peter, all you see is the failure. All you see is the brokenness, the pain, the stuff you have did to hurt others. But I see past it. I know you're in there. And if you'll let me, I'll draw it out. So how does God deal with us? How, do, how does God deal with his broken, shameful, sinful sons and daughters? He, he calls us today, just like he called Peter, and he said, Come on. I know you're in there. Open up to me. Come to me. And we can do this together. God can free us on any given Sunday of our shame. Will you let him do that for you today? pray. Lord, I ask that you, with, by your miraculous power, that you would touch our hearts, that you would draw us out of our shame, that you would unwrap the shame. Lord, we know it'll hurt, and it'll be hard to, to let you poke the fires of our failures, but if you're with us, we can do it. So, Lord, we ask you, help us, draw us out of our shame. Lord, 
we ask now for all of us today do this miracle do this miracle by your great power in Jesus name Amen